I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to Love and the Fighter. I'm your host, Charles DeGisco, and we are back for another filled episode. And, uh, you know, I'm liking the once-a-week change now. I know I've, I've brought this up a couple times to start the episodes, but I feel like now we're settling in. Last week felt like probably my best episode ever, That's, and it was like episode 84 or 80... Maybe maybe this is 85, I'm not sure. But it feels like we've come a long way. I think the quality has improved, and I think going a little longer was actually pretty good. It's not easy to talk to yourself for an hour, unless you're schizophrenic, and knock on wood, nothing yet on that front. So uh, I'm going to give it my best bet to follow that up. And, you know, there's not quite as many fights to go over this week in terms of breaking down but previewing, but obviously this one's pretty important, right? So Cowboy Cerrone fought Justin Gaethje on Saturday, and to get right to the point, he got knocked out in the first round. He didn't go. He didn't get flatlined, but he got cracked, and that was that. And um, I think this was one of those situations, and we've seen this before with Cowboy, especially as he's gotten a little older, where over the course of a year, his performances just steadily decline. And it's not to say he's fighting better and better competition. I think it is strictly. It has to do with the fact that he is just overworked. He's overworked and overtrained. His. It, it's not his head, right? It's not like Cowboy is taking so many shots to the head that he's like punchy. He's not that at all. I've spoken to the guy. But your body can only take so much physical trauma, whether it's in training, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, boxing, horseback riding, uh, surfing, wakeboarding, you know, wrestling cows, shooting dinosaurs, whatever it is the Cowboy's doing during his rest time, you know, I think as you get older, your training sessions have to get a little smarter. And it's not that he's not in good shape. It's not that he's taking too much damage to his head. His body is just not recovering. And you, you saw this a little bit with Ferguson, right? So if you guys can look back for a minute and read kind of talked about this being a possibility, but if you go all the way back to the beginning of the year when he fought Alex Hernandez, who was going to, you know, he was, he was come back to 155. Alex Hernandez is a big, strong, lightweight, who's aggressive, who's going to come forward. He's going to land hard shots and, and put you in trouble. And Cowboy Cerrone absolutely destroyed him. It was a bad matchup for Cerrone on paper. Hernandez is a guy who's going to put a lot of pressure. He's going to throw a lot of, a lot of kicks. He's going to try to wrestle you, right? But Cowboy just tuned him up, beat him six ways to one. Then he fought Iaquinta in a, in a five-round main event fight. And again, Iaquinta, an aggressive, high-volume guy with good striking and the ability to take you down, grind you out. It's a tough matchup. Tough matchup for Cowboy. And Cowboy beat him up. He looked great doing it. And then this is where things start to go south because although he's prepped for a major fight, at this point he's in the top five. He fights Tony Ferguson. I am a firm believer that he is a good matchup. It's he, uh, Tony Ferguson's a good matchup for him because Ferguson's style is at range primarily as he comes forward, and Cowboy has excellent counter shots. That's what he finished uh, Alex Hernandez with, and he's got a great set of range himself. 
So Ferguson, oddly enough, is a very good matchup for Cowboy. And Cowboy's extremely high-level jiu-jitsu and very underrated wrestling offset a lot of what Ferguson has. Of course, Ferguson's style of flowing through into submission submission and his funky uh, movement and everything, that's always an X factor. It's always an unknown. But that's not a bad fight for Cowboy. However, he took that less than two months after fighting 25 minutes in a very, very difficult fight with Ally Quinta. And you saw in the first round he had some success. I actually felt he won that round. But then it was there was just moments where you know he would throw the jab and it wouldn't quite make it back to his face. He would throw the jab and the follow-up punch was just a little bit too slow. There was a little bit of hesitation. There were not many head kicks. Against Iaquinta, he was throwing snapping you know, front kicks, right? It just seemed like there was some things that were just a little bit off. And he ultimately paid that price, right? He took a lot of damage and he lost that second round. And then he fought Justin Gaethje less than two months after that. And herein lies the biggest issue. Because while Ferguson is not a bad matchup for him, Gaethje is a tough matchup for him. Gaethje's counter-wrestling is, is very impressive. And... He's a in-the-pocket fighter, meaning he's going to get close, he's going to walk you down, and he's going to trade punches with you. Cowboy, when he's pressured, we saw with Dos Anjos in both fights, he doesn't quite do as well as he should. He struggles a little bit there. That's okay, though. That's not a big deal. But against a guy like Gaethje, when you've taken so much damage, you've got to be on point. You have to be quick. You have to be in and out, and you have to control that range. And when you're a little bit slow and a little bit stiff, you can't do that. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, Cowboy never was really able to get those kicks off. He was never really able to throw the right hand of his own. And he would throw the jab, but he would just kind of leave it out there and and try to avoid that overhand right. And, um, you know, a couple times he avoided it, but then a couple times it cracked him. And the last one, that was it. So he he lost that fight first round knockout. But it's an intriguing story for Cowboy Cerrone. Because there's no real rhyme or reason as to why he has to take these fights and why he's got to fight these guys when his body's not ready. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing him next week, probably. The first Cowboy event I interviewed him on air, the second one I didn't. But I, look, there, there's, there's some significant changes that need to occur for him to continue to compete at the highest level. And when I say highest level, I mean guys in the top five. He's going to drop back a couple. He'll probably be put... He's going to stay in the top 10, but he'll probably be at 7 or 8. He's one of the best fighters in the world, and he is determined to get that belt. He said, it's it's one more thing I have to do. And quite frankly, I am a firm believer in the guy. I've actually been a believer in the guy before I met him. I've only really rooted against him once, and that was when he fought um, Jim Miller. But Cowboy Cerrone is... He's got a very unique skill set, and he's got an ability to get people out of their game he really does he really can beat people anywhere and he's got he's just very underrated in a lot of different areas but you cannot continuously put this kind of pace together push your body to the limits and not let it recover especially as you do get older you know there you just things just don't work as well you have to kind of slow it down and for people who aren't athletes who are listening it's kind of like you know when you first start drinking you're like i don't get a hangover I remember the first, first, I don't know, three, four months I drank, never got a hangover. I would get blasted, wake up feeling great. And people would be like, how could you do it? And I'd be like, well, I don't get hangovers. As if I was some magic man. I don't get hangovers. It doesn't happen to me. I think I'm different. Hmm. Well, 
when 15 became 16, became 17, and then finally 18, I got fucking hung over when I would drink too much. And therein, that was the evolution, you know, that's of biology. Things are different. Things change. And in a sport like fighting where you take so much damage, I mean, Cowboys had 28 kickboxing fights, another, oh God, I don't know, 50 to 60 MMA fights. The, the damage sustained in training, the frequency in which he fights, all the other extracurricular activities he does. Look, I mean, I, I don't know how many hours a night he's sleeping, right? Because who knows, maybe he's sleeping 12 hours a night and he's just living his 12 hours of the day to the absolute fullest. That's a real possibility. But he's got to do a little bit more for recovery and he's got to give himself a little bit more time. I could even get past him fighting four times in a year. But it can't be fighting main event after main event after main event back to back to back. You know, maybe it's one main event here, a co-main event there. Then you get back into the main event slot or, or two more co-main event slots or however or a co-main event slot then a top contender fight on a feature, you know, feature fight. But you can't keep taking 25 minutes of a fist fight, the damage that comes with it, and then turning around two months later and fighting another guy. Because you have to understand, guys, he's not just taking two months in between fights. He's getting home, and then two weeks later, he's getting into another fight camp to prepare himself for the next six weeks uh, where he's going to go fight another guy and go through another weight cut and put his body through all of that trauma as well. The biological trauma of cutting weight and and starving yourself and dehydrating and then rehydrating and and everything that goes with that. I, I think that there's ways to do it. I think if I'm cowboy, if I was, if I get his ear and he says, Charles, what do you think I should do? I would say don't fight more than three times a year, but don't fight less either. Every three months, and then you know give yourself an extra two months during the holidays. You're you know limit your sparring until you know a couple weeks. Actually, I, I shouldn't even say how he should train, but really it's just more give yourself a little bit more recovery. Get deep tissue massages. Get somebody who's gonna you know get get whether it's yoga or deep stretches, something like that, you know, just a little bit more care to the recovery. And when you win the big fight and they give you another big name in short notice, have the discipline to say, I'll take that on this date instead to give your body that time. Because you can't get that time that you cannot get that recovery time back. And it sucks to see a guy who I truly believe is one of the best in the world and has everything it takes to win, just not come up on these big top contender fights. You know, if he beat Tony, he would be next in line for the title. And I really believe that he can beat Tony Ferguson when he's fresh. I truly do. I look at his skills. I see what he can do. His striking, the, the matchup, I really see that being a winnable fight for him. And Gaethje, while I think any, anybody can win on any given day, that's a much harder fight for him. However, you can't take that fight on short notice. Because that's the last fight you want to take on short notice. A guy who does an extreme amount of damage, is heavy-handed, has an overwhelming amount of forward progress and pressure, and throws punches and bunches and combinations, and just hits with reckless abandon, throws heavy leg kicks, which kind of take away your opportunity to throw leg kicks. I mean, you, you factor in those three things, Justin Gaethje is a really bad matchup for anybody. In fact, I would, I would tell you that Poirier is one of his worst matchups, because Poirier is very good at sitting in the pocket and countering those shots getting out of the way of punches and hitting you back, not with necessarily speed or in and out or aggressiveness or explosiveness, but just kind of waiting as you throw your combos. He just gets just out of the way and parries away and things like that. 
But, you know, we learned a lot about Cowboy Cerrone, and we know so much about the guy. And it's just, at this point, I think he does have another run in him. I think he's still itching at the top, especially because when you think about it, and we're going to get to Gaethje in a minute. I don't want this to be all about Cowboy. But there's only a few guys ahead of him. He's got the champ is Khabib. The top contender is Ferguson. The number two is Poirier. Number three is Conor McGregor. Number four is Justin Gaethje. And then five is Cowboy. And no doubt there's going to be some shifting and some moving and stuff. But, I mean... There's not a lot of guys on that that top 10 who are ahead of Cowboy who haven't already fought Habib. Cowboy hasn't fought Habib, and that goes a long way, even though he's lost his last two. If he wins one, you could say, hey, look, he's won three of five. He's had a very active 2018. Khabib has cleared out all the other challengers. I think it's Cowboy's shot. A late notice fight after winning one, maybe two, you're right there. There's options here. There's things he could do. But he's got to let his body recover. He's got to get healed. He's he's the type of guy who's going to continuously fight with an injury, and he's got to he's got to take a step back and make sure that he's healthy and ready to rock for his next fight. But let's talk about Justin Gaethje for a minute here, because when he came to the UFC, he was I believe 17 and 0, had fought some very very tough individuals, very good guys, and then he came to the UFC and he gets knocked out by Eddie Alvarez and then knocked out by Dustin Poirier, and everybody was pretty much ready to write him off. Now, in those two fights, he was a little bit reckless, he was a little bit wild, and he had his moments where he almost won. However, both Poirier and Alvarez are veterans of the sport, heavy hitters themselves, and very, very hard to not only put away, but hard to sit in the pocket with, because they have excellent combinations and movements of their own. Their counter-wrestling is good enough to get up from most wrestlers, not named Khabib, However, they're not going to necessarily be aggressive with their takedowns themselves, which is fine because Gaethje's not doing that either. After he lost those two, he's now ripped off three first-round knockouts. First, James Vick, then Edson Barbosa, and now Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So three significant guys, all in the top 10 at the time he fought them. I believe Vick is now out of the top 10, but still in the top 15. Three tough dudes. I mean, he's right there. He really is right there. And, you know, for the guys ahead of Gaethje, it's even less. The only guy ahead of Gaethje who's not matched up, Ferguson and Khabib, and he hasn't fought, Poirier, is Connor. So, you know, there there is an intriguing matchup there. But let's really talk about how he matches up with the two guys he hasn't fought in Ferguson and Khabib. His counter-wrestling and scramble ability is literally some of the best in the UFC. You don't see it often, but when he gets taken down, he not only gets right back up, he'll like pin you in a way and then stand up on his own terms. A guy like Ferguson is going to really, really struggle against a guy like Gaethje. His in-and-out style, he doesn't hit with a lot of power, he kind of peppers you up, and then he does all this funky stuff. Yeah, that's not going to phase Gaethje. Gaethje's going to bite down on his mouthpiece, tuck his chin, and start wailing on hooks as Ferguson comes forward. And that's a problem for Ferguson because if Ferguson does shoot for the takedown, he might not even get it. But if he does, the rolling and scrambling that's going to follow is not going to really be too supportive of his game plan. If Gaethje were to fight Khabib, who's known for his forward pressure and his strength and his control, the real question in that fight is, can Gaethje, uh, can Khabib take Gaethje down and keep him down? Because I could tell you, when he fought Poirier and when he fought Connor, he shot from a very far, far distance out. 
And while Connor did a good job of avoiding the takedown for as long as he could, and when he did get taken down, he really mitigated damage, we saw that Poirier struggled. I can tell you Gaethje's not going to let that happen. If he shoots from that far out on Gaethje, he's going to get nowhere. Gaethje's a D1 wrestler. All-American, I believe. And if he wants to get in the pocket with Gaethje, he's going to have to deal with some heavy, heavy punches. And Khabib's been caught before. Poirier caught him. Michael Johnson's caught him. Nobody who hits quite as hard as Gaethje or as fast with as much volume as Gaethje. Plus, when you're not afraid of the takedowns, you let your hands fly. And Khabib has not fought a guy in a very long time who's not afraid of being taken down. In fact, every time Khabib fights, the guys are so terrified of getting taken down, they don't let their hands go. They don't let their their kicks go. They won't get in the pocket. They try to stand in range and dance around, and then Khabib will eventually cut you off, get your back to the cage, and that's it. Gaethje is a very, very difficult challenge for a lot of people, and he's a great story. For his entire career, everybody was saying, we got to see this guy in the UFC. We have got to see this guy in the UFC. At 17-0, he wasn't there. He finally gets in. I should say at 17-0, he does finally get in. And he loses his first two, not only loses, by knockout. Of course, against two top five guys. At that point, he was written off. But since then, he has come out looking better than ever. Truly, truly better than ever. And... The final matchup for him in that top five is Conor McGregor. And apparently there's been conversations about the two of them fighting in the past, and both sides were into it. This was after the Cowboy Cerrone talks fell through because Cowboy ended up taking the Iaquinta fight. That fight, I believe, is the bat the worst matchup for Gaethje. Because Conor's range, his length, and his technical striking ability is just a little too crisp. That if Gaethje tries to stand in front of him and walk him down, he's going to eat really hard shots on his way in. And I'm not sure he'll ever have that opportunity to sit in the pocket with him. Now, his leg kicks will be a game changer. I do think his leg kicks can open things up, truly. But I'm not sure how that would play into uh, his... I, I just, I'm not sure how those leg kicks, if they would be enough to open up the heavy hands. I could see that being his entry. You know, fake a jab, hard leg kick, and then just rush in with hooks. But Connor's ability to understand range and get out of the way of hard strikes while still delivering very hard strikes of his own, I, that's that's second to none in a lot of ways. In a lot, a lot of ways. So I think, oddly enough, that's the worst matchup for him. Whereas for Connor, while he can beat Gaethje, I don't think he could beat Khabib. And I'm not sure how. I think he has ways to beat Tony. Because I think Tony, again, his style, similar to why similar to why I think Cowboy was a good fight for Ferguson. Ferguson, so much of his style is from range. You know, he works his way in, then he throws his shots, and he's always like kind of dancing and doing his thing. There's a lot of opportunity to strike people on the way in. And on a guy like Connor, I don't think you could do that. And as Connor's grappling and anti-wrestling ability has gotten up, I can see him avoiding those dangerous positions with Ferguson on the ground. Not quite to the same ability as Justin Gaethje or, of course, Khabib Nurmagomedov, but I do see him having a better shot against Ferguson than than Khabib. I really think Khabib is just not going to be the matchup for him to win. I don't know how he does it unless it's a flash knockout. But, I mean, look where we are at this point. the, the, the lightweight division is just full of killers and, and really now it's just a matter of getting these guys matched up and getting these fights scheduled and keeping them going. You know, I mean, Khabib just fought last week. So does he fight in December? I don't know. 
Khabib said himself he wants to be active. He's 28-0 now. I think he's, you know, two away from 30. And I think if those matchups were going to happen, originally I was going to say it would be, you know, Connor and GSP. But now, maybe it's Tony Ferguson and Gaethje. And then if there's a GSP fight after that, there it is. I mean, unless Connor comes out and starches Gagey, I don't really see him getting another shot while while Khabib is active, especially because Connor hasn't fought since 2016 against Eddie Alvarez. Outside of his title fight with Khabib, I should clarify that. You know, he's fought two times since 2016. That doesn't really bode well for an extremely active division. It, it is really interesting times, but. Uh, you know, I can't. I feel for my man Cowboy. I'm gonna talk to him. Hopefully, I talk to him off air because I never want to say anything bad on air. You know, bad being something he disagrees with. You know, plus he could fire me. It. it I technically work for. He's my boss technically, so something to think about there. But a really impressive performance for Gaethje and so many good fights coming up in that division. I'm just excited to see how they all shake out. The UFC is making its return to uh, Mexico City. And it's headlined by Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. Now, Yair hasn't fought in a while. His last fight was a knockout win over um, Chan Sung Jung. But uh, the Korean Zombie. I think that's... Yeah, Korean Zombie. And Jeremy Stevens' last fight, I believe, was uh, lost to Zabit uh, Magomed Sharapirov. Now, Stevens has fought Aldo and, and Zabit, and those were his last two losses. Zabit was a great fight. He just could not quite get it done. He couldn't really close the distance, and he was dealing with quite the height and reach advantage, uh, disadvantage rather. But he looked good out there. He looked good out there. And now with Yair, it's a lot of the same as Zabit, but less striking ability in regards to his hands, but a higher, I would say, a higher ability with kicks. And for Jeremy Stevens at this point in his career, he is still a prolific knockout artist. He still has the tools to be one of the very best in the world. And he's another one who could find his way creeping up into a title shot. But his brawling style, he really does struggle with guys who are technical specialists. You know, Aldo, he's a bit of a veteran. But when you look at hyper-technical strikers that he's fought in the past versus the guys he's been knocking out, Jeremy Stevens has knocked out Duho Choi, who is a pretty technical striker, but nothing too, too crazy. And Yair Rodriguez, his last fight, he knocked out Chan Sung Jung. But since that knockout win for Jeremy Stevens, he's gone on to lose to Jose Aldo from Body Shot, and then he lost the decision to Zabit. And, you know, when when Jeremy Stevens is dealing with that kind of height and reach disadvantage, it, you see he gets a little frustrated. He, he pressures forward. He tries to cut off the ring, but he eats a lot of shots. And I don't think he's going to get knocked out, certainly not from a headshot, but against a guy like Yair, who throws so many kicks and is very unorthodox... I see a lot of interesting challenges for him. Now, what does give me hope for Jeremy is that when I rewatched Yair fight Chan Sung Jung, he was losing that entire fight. Now, he got a knockout. It was like an amazing, like, bent-over elbow knockout win. But he definitely is a capable guy. But he he's not this outrageous... Like, he, I don't think he's on the level that Zabit is. Like, I don't think he is this second-coming uh, striker who can do anything and everything. I do think he's going to have issues with a guy like Jeremy who's going to put pressure on him, who's going to throw hard shots. And while Chan Sung Jung won't knock you out in that, in that fashion, Jeremy Stevens will. He absolutely will. So for him, it just comes down to can he counter those kicks? 
and can Yair get his boxing involved? Because if he relies on those kicks and one is just a little bit too late or Jeremy just does a little bit good of a job to, to crowd that shot and get in the way of it, I will tell you that we could be in for a very serious knockout, and this could be a real big win for, for Jeremy Stevens, who wins these big fights that you think he's being fed to the Lions, but then just can't quite get the win to put him into that title contention. But like Cowboy, I think there's a lot of similarities with Jer- Jeremy Stevens, and I do think that he can get there. I really do. But we're going to have to see some something different out of him. Fighting at altitude in Mexico City, which is higher than Denver, by the way, that'll take a lot out of you. So you have to be prepared properly for that. And against a, a kicking specialist like Yair, who's got a lot of fancy kicks and does a lot of things differently, well, before I finish that statement, he's got to be careful of altitude as well. Because th- those sh- those types of strikes, those are exhausting strikes. They'll take a lot out of you. And that's not a position you really want to be in with a guy like Jeremy Stevens trying to walk you down and get you up against the cage. But... I, you know, I actually believe that Jeremy Stevens is going to get the win, even though he doesn't have the momentum. There's not a lot of push behind him. I, I really, I, I should say, I want him to win. I really want him to win. I'm not sure he'll be able to get it done, for those reasons I just said. But I, I want him to win, and I think that he does have the tools to do it. But I, I don't really like when people ask me for gambling advice because I usually pick guys who I want to win as, as opposed to who I think are going to win. You know, we saw that last week. And I made plenty of excuses and reasons for why Poirier could have gotten the job job done against Khabib. But, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily a, a can't-miss fight, but it's certainly one that I suggest people tune in for. And, and you know, you, you never know what you're going to see with Jeremy Stevens. I mean, he's just he's a wild card. And Yair has pulled off some unbelievable wins himself, so there's some interest there um, as well. But let's shift gears here a little bit, because I wanted to get more into dating this week. And... <laughs> I read an article, and and not only was this article, I should say, this article wasn't just like in Cosmo. This was from the Journal of Family and Marriage, meaning this was a study done by doctors, PhDs, not like medical doctors, and it was completely data-driven, right? So this this is as close to fact as you can get on a topic like this, but it's pretty fascinating. So the title of the article was broke men are hurting American women's marriage prospects. So I try to avoid the bias of the article itself, but I went right to the Journal of Family and Marriage, and this is a legitimate scientific study. So in this, the findings were as follows. There are mismatches in the marriage market, meaning there is a current shortage, and this is a direct quote, a current current shortages of marriageable men meaning men with a stable job and good income. To put that another way, there is a large deficit in the supply of potential male spouses for women. And I want to go through a few of these highlights before I really break this down. They found that women's ideal husbands, as in these are uh, the, the, the men that women believe they would end up with, made 58% more money than the current lineup of eligible bachelors. To put another way, the man that the woman thought she would end up with would be making almost 60% more money than the actual current available men in real life are. And then this was one of the reasons where I, this, like, this really made my eyebrow just raise significantly. Many young men today have little to bring to the marriage bargain. I didn't know marriage was a bargain for men, but that's interesting. 
And at its core, as the article finishes, which I'm going to get to this as well, but I'm going to break this down, there was an entire article about women dating down connected to this journal. This journal was referenced by multiple articles. So getting into the core of it, here's what's happening. And I talked about this a little bit last week. As women exceed men in college, they graduate, you know, there's like significantly more women graduating college and earning degrees than there are men. They also actually, I know people keep peddling a, pay, a wage gap, doesn't really exist. In fact, women between the ages of 20, I think it's 20 and 32, earn across the board, regardless of profession, more money on average, of course, than men. So that right there should raise some pretty significant eyebrows. Now, of course, it stops at 32 because you're going to have more women choosing to raise children. And at its core, that just takes away time from their careers, whether they're stay-at-home moms or part-time working or maybe even full-time, just typically when you have the responsibilities of being a parent, you can't always devote yourself completely to your job like you can when you're in your 20s with no real responsibilities, you know. But with all of that said, those women are not dating guys who are earning less than them or have less of an education than them. This is a fundamental societal issue where Everybody's pushing for, you know, the powerful women in the workplace and the CEO positions, managerial positions, as they should be, by the way. However, and, and actually, there is no issue with that societal push, right? There's not a single problem with that. Women dominating the workforce and, and having successful careers, that is as it should be. Everybody should be entitled to that. However, the difference is, men are not being commended the same way for choosing to be a stay-at-home parent. And if they are commended socially, whether that's on Twitter or just outwardly in conversation, they're not necessarily appreciated in the household. Meaning men who are stay-at-home fathers with women who are working are much more likely, those marriages are much more likely to end in divorce than the other way around. And the, the dating pool for guys, I talked about this a little bit, as they succeed in their career and as they make more money and as they improve their lives uh, in terms of their notoriety, power, and equity, their dating prospects only improve because now they're not just able to date you know, the, the average girl sitting next to them. They could date anybody from the model to the waitress to the bartender to the CEO. Because they've put themselves in such a category where they have no real competition. So they're dating. They have a higher degree of success. There's more women for them to date. They can do it all. That's why now it's such a good time to work your ass off if you're a guy. Because if you can make it to your late 20s and early 30s, where you really start to get to your peak, all the women that were rejecting you in your early 20s are now attracted to you because, well... Those ones are, but they're a little bit older. But specifically, the women that you that men find attractive, which universally men find women who are between the ages of 21 and 24 the most attractive. Those women are now interested in you because that is this is like right where the most the the ideal man is. It starts at 28, but really doesn't taper off till 50, depending on the age of the woman. But for women, and in this article, it pretty much goes to this exactly. 
as their career gets better, as they make more money, as they become higher quality in their professional world, their dating pool decreases because they don't have any interest dating the guy who's a bartender or who's an Uber driver or whatever it might be. They need to date the guy who's also a CEO, who's also in a power position, who's at least at their level, if not more, but not in attractiveness, not in, not in any other area other than really fame and money. Those are the areas they want to be equal or uh, if, if they want to date somebody who's equal or better than that man. And I just thought this journal was so interesting because the way it's worded makes it seem like men are such losers that women can't marry them. And it's that's got a very negative connotation towards men. But I actually would say it's a positive. It's that women are now so successful, men aren't keeping up. And there's a big difference there. It's not like women aren't doing anything and men are just falling behind. Women are working their asses off. They're improving their lives. And they're putting themselves into a different, uh, uh, effectively a different labor category in the dating market for themselves. The problem here with Causation doesn't necessarily mean correlation is that men don't really care what women do. Of course, you have insecure guys who won't date a woman who's very successful or who's very good at what she does. But by and large, those guys weren't really marriage material anyway. Men just typically don't care about how much money the woman they're dating makes. You know, the stereotypes of like, oh, he can't handle you because you have your own house, you're doing it. Yeah, no, that's fine. Really what it comes down to is, is he attracted to you? Is there an ample amount of sex? And are you nice to him? And just about everything else outside of major baggage kind of works itself out for a guy. For a girl, those three areas of satisfaction are directly correlated to the man's ability to provide and protect. And this is why, I, I think I've said this in the past, men don't exist. They're made. And what I mean by that is, like, of course they physically exist, but you have to become something to be viewed the way you want to. And I think that guys are really lucky in that because they have the ability to work their ass off and put themselves in a position where they're extremely desirable. And it's not to say that women aren't, but the ways in which women have to work to do those things are not really celebrated in society. The same way that, you know, going, getting an education, getting a good job, you know, making yourself successful, staying in shape, like all of those things are are celebrated in society. But really, you'll find that conservative societies, conservative ways are not really pushed in, at the very least, just general social media and media, you know, and dating and stuff. They're not really like, oh, wow. Like, like people don't really cheer for a woman who wants to be a stay-at-home mom. People don't really cheer for a woman who wants to be a really good wife. The same way than they would that that woman or that man going in and trying to be a CEO, right? Like, ambition now is confused for interest. You could be an, a very ambitious person and you just your ambition is to be a homemaker, man or woman. That's not my ambition. I should say, that's not my interest. But that's not to say that somebody who does want those things and, of course, waits for them to happen for all the right reasons. They're not just like forcing it. That's not to say they're not ambitious, you know. But here we have an entire article, a scientific journal driven by data, which is highlighting this exact issue which is that as women's perceived quality increases, they have less and less men to date. Now, I think you could word this article multiple ways, but I think it, it, does, it, it does a couple things. I think it takes away from the success that women are having 
especially in the last 10 years, that have really put them so much further ahead of their male counterparts. And I think it's a little bit, you know, it was a little bit lenient towards the guys, even though the, the, the title was pretty aggressive, like broke men, right? Really at its core, it's just kind of saying that women are more successful than men right now, which is true. That's a fact. But that doesn't necessarily mean that men aren't trying or they're not doing well. They're just not doing as well as women. So that's not a bad thing. Uh, maybe, maybe some people didn't expect me to say that, but it's not a bad thing if women are out-earning men, if women are more successful than men in the workplace and they have better careers. That's not a problem. However, you have to experience then a fundamental shift in dating. And so much of what women are attracted to is that status, the money. Clearly, in the, the, the money was like, everybody says it, but when you read articles like this, it really makes your eyes explode. Like, you know, earning potential, power, status. Those three things are much more important to women than they are to men. For a spouse, by the way. I don't mean that in, in, individually, right? Because it's already, guys, they're, they're most attracted to women in their early 20s. Those women don't have status, power, or money. But they have things that men want, right? Beauty and youth. So, I don't know the solution. This was one of those articles. Like, this is such a macro problem. Like, I'm pretty good at finding solutions to micro problems, meaning interpersonal issues. You know how to deal with women like this, right? It's just, you, you make the, your job just a sidetrack because you're there's so much more to you than just what you clock in and clock out as, you know? Maybe it's just maybe you just want to work at a bank, but there's so many other things that you're interested in that you hope one day can turn into something. You still have that ambition and motivation, right? You have a steady job, sure. It doesn't pay a lot, but whatever. She makes money. But you're doing other things, big things. And hopefully she's along for the ride. But on a macro level, what's the solution? I think a lot of it has to do with the as you wait longer and longer to get married, the disparity between in quality between men starts to really stretch because while I always say a man's prime is in his late 20s early 30s if he doesn't take care of himself his glory years would will be high school I mean there's a really big like that this is a big caveat to that whole like men age like wine thing they only age like wine if they take care of themselves and you and you work for it and if you do work for it your 30s and, and maybe 40s that life that you can live and experience will be like the life that a girl in her early 20s lives. That's what you're effectively shooting for. And it's awesome. But if you don't work hard, and you don't put in the effort, you won't get to experience that. And this, this article, the other way you could take it is that men aren't really putting themselves in those positions. Not only are they not keeping up, I don't like the competition aspect of it, so I don't, like to, I don't really think that's an issue. But they're not necessarily, it's not that they're not just keeping up, they're not able to put themselves in a position to experience that quality of life that that women are able to experience in their early 20s. They're not effectively what that means is they're not putting themselves in a position to take advantage of their prime. And that I think is the crime and that I think is the part where I feel bad for women because there's this negative stigma I think on working towards yourself and focusing on getting in good shape and dressing well and you know learning how to fight and learning how to cook and effectively doing all of these masculine things that in a city you see there's just less and less of you know i mean god i you know i go on twitter guys 
And at this point, I really only go on to back up Omar Badar and read about MMA. But inevitably, you see everything. You that just you you you. I don't really comment, but you see the posts, you see the news, then you see the comments. And not only are people delusional and less educated. Well, I would say they're more delusional and less intelligent than ever, despite having more education than ever before. It's amazing how dumb people are. But you really see that there's just not people just don't have their shit together you know for them the 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 benefit isn't walking down the street and getting checked out or you know being in great shape and you know feeling good about your body and things like that the benefit to them is you know taking a good picture with a filter and getting a bunch of likes or making some you know outrageous comment virtue signaling and getting a, a couple high fives from internet people you'll never meet it's a very strange world we're living in right now but there's no doubt that that whole situation, Twitter and what people strive for in today's society, today's day and age, I don't like to use the word society too much, that's directly connected to this. And, you know, there is a UFC fighter, his name is Tim Kennedy. Now, he was a Green Beret, he was a sniper, and he, he holds some alternative views, but he went on a news channel, and they were asking him to explain, like, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? And he was explaining that shootings were happening because we don't have enough masculinity. And pundits then took that and they were just like, you know, the whole reason we're having students is toxic masculinity. Everybody, everybody gets so excited when they get to say toxic masculinity. But people really don't know what toxic masculinity is. Like if I walk down the street, people might assume that. I drive an unnecessary car with a loud engine and a stick shift, right? I fight. I own a business about fighting. I talk about fighting. I lift a lot of weights. I love having sex can't get enough women but that's just masculinity there's nothing toxic about that nobody's getting hurt unless you're on the receiving end of some violence nobody's getting hurt from that the the toxic masculinity is when you get you know group culture like frat culture and you have a total disregard for uh i'm going to use it laws in society right that's toxic masculinity usually it's group mindset and sometimes it's in person, like you get a big bunch of people around a frat and they start acting wild and wild wildly. Or sometimes it's virtually where you get a lot of like the incel community getting together on chat rooms and talking about how bad women are because they can't get any because they didn't do the work. Cheering on violence because they can't find any other solution. But neither of those things are masculinity, right? That's just toxic behavior. But when you pair toxic and masculinity together, you prevent men from wanting to be men. Now, obviously, that's not something I do. Uh, and that's not something I support because I have a gym full of absolute savages, alpha males, and alpha females. That's the environment. And I know people who, who are borderline socialists who are absolutely alpha males. It's not like this is like, not like a political thing. It's not like, oh, you're only an alpha male if you got a shotgun and a fucking pickup truck with a Confederate flag. It is not that. And by the way, I support shotguns and pickup trucks. But it is about being able to be who you are and, and who, you, who you want to be, right? Being masculine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, I believe that the lack of mas masculinity is directly correlated to the lack of drive and ambition, which women really find the least attractive. I actually believe that they could settle for somebody who doesn't earn as much money as them, especially as they make more and more money. Their wants and needs are going to change. It's just that people associate money with status when that's not the case. I know plenty of people who make a lot of money, but 
if they don't walk into a room, they can't light it up. And I know others who don't make nearly as much money, but when they walk into a room, they get all of the energy and attention, and they have the status, and they have the power. That is what women find attractive. I think that, that this article really highlights the, a much bigger issue, which is not... It, and, and some I read a little bit about this in the comments of the news article that referenced this journal. Which was like this, like you know, some salty dudes being like, "Oh, so women are gold diggers." We already knew that. Nah, bro, they're not. They're working hard, and it's paying off. It's really paying off. I'm friends with badass women who are doing like fucking awesome shit. Doesn't that doesn't? There's nothing wrong with that. That that's not like it's not their fault for being successful, and it's not really their fault that they're having a harder time dating. Now, part of it is if their if their standards aren't reflective of those around them, right? But this is a this is a, a man problem too, and it's not just about at school and earning money. You can go join a union, work with a bunch of guineas, and make a ton of money as a plumber, an outrageous amount of money as a plumber. You're not in a suit; it's not that prestigious. But let me tell you what: that is not a bad way to live. In fact, like I said, I think I'll, this might have been actually been last week. If I can go back, I would do that. But it's about being your best self. And it's about, and I think, you know, when you come, when masculinity comes into it, I think for all the right reasons, masculinity is incredibly important, the same way femininity is. Men are men, women are women. And of course, in 2019, we have kind of a conglomerate of all that. But, and as I, as I kind of move on to the same point, rather than talking in circles, there was an article connected to the article I read, using this, citing the same journal, which was all about, uh, it was an entire article about women dating down. But in that article, and they included pictures of these folks and everything like that, the only two areas where it was, you know, assumed that they were dating down was education and job. So one one couple, they mentioned her education, which was uh, she had a master's degree, and the guy was a high school dropout, right? But they had a great relationship. Well, it turns out he was a business owner, self-starter. So sure, he doesn't have a good education. She's got a master's degree, but... He's the breadwinner of the family. So that was a terrible example. And then the other one was this woman who was a lawyer. And oddly enough, this other guy who was a plumber. And I will tell you that, yes, she was a lawyer. But she wasn't... I, I would be surprised if she was checking all of most men's boxes. Right? So she wasn't really dating down is what I'm getting at. Maybe she's a lawyer and maybe he's not. But I would say, objectively, she should be really happy that she had his attention. And, you know, the, this, the, the money is always going to be separate. And I, I hope people start to really make that connection. The money is going to be separate. I mean, there's ways to be powerful. There's ways to have status. There's ways to have success that isn't directly correlated to a number on a piece of paper. And by the way, you know, if you're really good at what you do, you're, you're, the income you show is going to be very little, but the income in your pocket is going to be much more than, than others. That's true success. It's not about what's on the paper. It's about what's in your pocket. And, uh, you know, if she's a lawyer and or she's working as her, you know, in her, in her own law firm and she's a 1099, enjoy those taxes. She has employees. You got to pay those health insurance. Enjoy that. Maybe, maybe he's a plumber, but everything's right off. You guys see the point I'm making. It, you know, there, there's, there's going to be things that are going to change. And I think that right now, for the first time ever, we're experiencing women out earning men across the board. And we're experiencing the adjustment that comes with that, which is, well, usually I want to date the guy who's the most successful, making the most amount of money. 
but there's not many of those guys. And those guys that are around are pursuing the women that rejected them when they were younger. They're going for the women that they, they find most desirable. So the men that these women find most desirable are pursuing the women that they find most desirable because they finally got to a point where they could actually ascertain those women. They could actually attract them. Whereas the women who work so hard to get to that point are forced to settle, and I say that in quotes, for guys they believe to be better than. And in some of those cases, they absolutely are settling. They're a little bit older, but if they're really settling, those guys probably didn't do much for them themselves either. They didn't work towards their prime. They came up short, and they wasted what could have been their best years. Guys, I think that's all I have for today. But a really, I mean, a really interesting article, especially when it's when it's like a like a journal of science and medicine, or, or in this case, a journal of uh, family and marriage, like using scientific data to explain this stuff. I mean, as a guy who talks about this quite a bit and gives a lot of advice, I find this super interesting because it, it's a little bit mind blowing that it could cut like one that somebody could write that title, which is just ridiculous. But two, if you're a guy and you want to have options. The writing is on the wall. Work your ass off and become extremely successful and you will be able to date every single range of woman you want because it doesn't matter what her success is. You're going to be going for youth and beauty, right? It doesn't matter what she's doing for her career. But if you're a woman and you're working hard and you're putting yourself in this elite bracket, you have to understand, according to this study, there might not be a lot of guys for you to date. So when you work for your career, make sure that the light at the end of the tunnel isn't just to find a guy who has a better career. Make sure that the light at the end of that tunnel is your own success and your own happiness, right? This is where I think you'll find men and women work for different things, right? Men, when they work and they get themselves up to that point, they get to that level of success, their reward is effectively being able to date a much larger dating pool than they could have otherwise achieved. Whereas for women, the success is in the career itself. That's not to say men don't appreciate career success, and that's not to say that women can't find a quality male once they hit some success. That's ridiculous. But it does highlight some issues with effectively at the top tier in regards to education and career, there's not nearly as many men as there are women. And the men that did make it to that level are attracting women that are not in that same stratosphere of career and income because they're still going after the youth and the beauty. And I think if that's an allegory for anything, it's that men just truly don't learn (laughs) anything at all, no matter how much they improve. But one thing that is for sure is that this podcast is sponsored by District Martial Arts, the premier mixed martial arts gym in Arlington, Virginia. DMA has expert level instruction in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, wrestling, and MMA. Come by soon for your free trial and reference this episode of The Lover and the Fighter for a special discount. I also want to thank friends of the podcast, Sorello Art, who's been doing great commission work. He's your guy if you need anything art-related, as well as The Grace Effect. Grace Ibrahim, she's the writer and producer of this show. I don't know why I said writer. She's not the writer of the show. But she is the producer of this show, along with The Brilliantly Dumb Show, available on iTunes, and she is up and just working on some awesome stuff, as always. So keep in touch with both of them. Anything you need in regards to art, video production, social media, that's your team. They can do it and they'll take care of you. And I will be back next week for the next episode of Love and the Fighter.